Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Hi, Sal from the Universal Housing Network. And we're going to find out more about that in just a minute. But Sal, let's start with your background education. Where did you go to school? Uh, the Ontario College of Art is where I started. Um, and then I went to University of Guelph and then Sir George Williams University and came back with a master's degree and uh, started teaching at the University of Toronto, where I, I also began my PhD program in philosophy, which I earned in 1980. I taught in high school, I taught in university, mostly visual arts, but also the humanities and social sciences. Excellent. So somewhere in between there, you went to work. Where did yeah, you go I, and work? I taught, at, um, I taught with, uh, as I said, University of Toronto, Scarborough College, that's where I began. And then I, I taught in high school with the Toronto Separate School Board. And uh, in, uh, there I taught mainly social sciences and visual arts. And finally, almost 10 years of cooperative education. Okay. Very impressive background, Sal. So let, let's get into what is a passion of yours, Accessible Housing Network. What is the network? The network is a collaboration of, uh, of at least 35 to 40 different associations, all of whom share the same goal of, of finding and creating accessible housing, which means housing that people of all ages and ability can live in, not just housing for the able-bodied, which is principally what we see all around us. So having said that, are you a think tank? Are you an advocate? Do you actually do something? What's, what's the, uh, the purpose or the mission? Well, uh, I got into the Accessible Housing Network after I became, uh, became involved with uh, a se uh, Seniors for Social um, Action Ontario, which is uh, an advocacy group uh, that is fighting for alternatives to long-term care because seniors don't want to go and live in an institution. They want to stay home. They want to age at home. But the present government is dead set on corralling us and sending us all into institutions. So we're fighting that tooth and nail. Um, and during my involvement with that, I also became involved with uh, Accessible Housing Network, became very much a fan of Kate Chung, who is my mentor and was the original chair of that group, um, and uh, continued my advocacy work, which really began about 20 years ago when I retired from teaching and took on the task of helping my son find work because he, he has an intellectual disability. And so I became, as a result of that, very active in the community living movement and my advocacy work has ranged all the way from um, supporting and advocating for people with disabilities, for uh, seniors, 
and for um, uh, um, people who are homeless. Okay, so having said that, that 35 or 40 organizations, who are some of the well-known organizations that people might recognize? Uh, well, uh, one of them would be Seniors for Social Action Ontario, but there are also uh, quite a number of uh, associations and, and organizations you would know well. You can find a list of them on the Accessible Housing Network um, dot org, um, and um, you'll also find there petitions that we have launched trying to get the national and federal governments to um, initiate and, and advance standards in universal design, which is what's needed in order to build homes that are available and accessible to all. Okay, you used a term that some of our listeners may not understand. Universal design. Could you explain that in a little more detail? Sure. It's a, an idea which has quite a lot of popularity throughout the world um, to create livable, adaptable spaces that are um, uh, more comfortable for people of all ages and abilities. As I say, most of the housing that is built today is built for able-bodied people. If you get sick, if you have an accident, if you get old, you can no longer live in the home you've always lived in because it's no longer adaptive to your needs. Um, I mention often that uh, I developed um, sciatica about a month ago that was so severe that I had to crawl up and down the stairs so that the home I own, the home I worked hard to, to look after, was not even adapting to my needs for that period of time. I'm better now. But uh, people who have these problems, they, they can no longer stay in their homes, and that's why they're often finding themselves shipped to long-term care institutions. So there's another gentleman, Luke Anderson, who I did an interview with. And Luke, his issue is accessibility. Yes. And he started an organization called Stop Gap. Uh -huh. And they build platforms to get into buildings and very wise what they do is they put their website on every platform that they make and they're now in several communities not just in Toronto which is a great exercise in making things more adaptive yes yes so well, I find it very disconcerting when I drive up and down the streets and I see all this new housing being built, rows and rows and rows of townhouses, often with seven or eight steps just to get into the front door. And then the three stories high. So imagine all the stairs inside there. And uh, unless you've got three families living there with the people with disabilities on the lowest floor, uh, I don't know how these homes are accessible to anyone other than perfectly well, able-bodied people. 
So, Sal, you mentioned that your son has a disability, a learning disability. How, how has that changed how you deal with him? Well, it affected our entire lives. I mean, my wife and I are both uh, highly educated teachers, and we have been teaching children of all ages, and I mean that literally between the two of us, from children to seniors. Uh, and uh, we never thought we'd have a son who would have disability, and we soon learned how to deal with that, and I think it helped us to become better teachers, but it's a challenge that very few of us are ready and prepared to take on. Um, my son is gifted in many ways, uh, but he's not the school type. He's great with his hands. He has a, a good job now. He has a full-time job working for Mercedes-Benz. He loves cars. And he, they, they really appreciate uh, his contributions in the garage because he helps everybody there. So he's found his niche. Um, I helped him to do all of that because, as I said, in my last years, I was in cooperative education where the whole purpose was to help high school students um, blend into the world of work to find employment and to find themselves useful in society. So it's my dedication to my son and to the community living movement, which helped him a great deal when he left high school, uh, that got me involved in the whole business of advocacy for persons with disabilities. So having said that, he completed high school, did he, Sal? Yes, he did. And did he do any uh, learning after that? Uh, a little, um, by way of trying to help him to uh, uh, become involved in the community, but um, no, not formally. He didn't go on to a community college or uh, any program other than day programs at the community living. So community living has played a significant role in his life and in your life. Yes, because I became involved at virtually every level of community living. I was on the boards of the local association, the provincial association, and the national association. And uh, so working in every way that I could to advance the cause of um, supporting individuals with disabilities. So let's go back to the accessible housing network. Mm -hmm. It's been going for a while. Have you had any achievements that you could describe? We uh, have, as I said, launched several petitions in order to get the provincial and the federal government, and we're working with municipal governments as well, in order to adopt the universal design standard. So one of our biggest challenges is to get the building codes changed. Because when you go talk to the builders and to the municipalities and all the people who are involved in, in housing, oh, they all say, well, we can't do anything because the provincial uh, uh, board, um, uh, the uh, provincial building code does not allow us to, or 
the provincial people say, well, we can't because the national building code does not allow to. So there's a hell of a lot of buck passing going on. And that's why the petitions that we've launched um, are primarily aimed at the federal level, because we believe that if the national government adopted a building code that was supportive of the, of the universal design standard, everything would fall into place. And we keep telling people that Australia has just adopted the national universal standard code. It no longer makes it recommendation so that, you know, people, uh, builders, developers can choose to use or follow or not. No, this is a standard, and standards are meant to be followed. And so that's what we want. We want the federal government to lead by example and not to fund any housing or project which does not follow universal design standards. And if we start that way, we can look forward to the future when universal design will be as much the standard as the plumbing standard and electric standard are observed by builders and developers everywhere. As I say, you don't see outhouses anymore. You have indoor plumbing and sewage. So the day will come, <coughs> excuse me, if we dedicate ourselves to, to a, a brighter future in which universal design is the standard, then everyone will have access to housing and no one will be left out in the cold, homeless. Now, you have reached out to Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Tell us about They're that experience. Supportive. They're very supportive of, of universal design and they recommend it. But once again, recommendations are not enough. You have to require certain standards to be followed. It's like, it's like creating uh, traffic laws that aren't enforced. Well, we recommend that you go below the maximum of 100 kilometers an hour. Yeah, that's going to cut it, isn't it? So have you tried to work with builders at all? I have written and phoned a number of builders and developers. And uh, I'm just very disappointed that they have not gotten back to me. Because I've tried to tell them, look, you know, you've got, oh, I don't know how many millions there are, at least eight or nine million, I believe, baby boomers in Canada, like you and me, who own homes, who worked hard, paid off mortgages, and have capital. And we may not be able to live in our houses any longer unless we spend tens, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to renovate them in order to be able to stay in the houses we own. But we have money that we could invest in purchasing accessible homes if only builders would develop them and build them for us. I keep telling them, there's trillions of dollars there for you. Why aren't you plumbing them? So, they haven't gotten back to me. I guess I am not tempting enough. So having, having said that, Sal... How do you reach out to your local member of parliament? 
to get them involved. Especially by reaching out to them. I have gone out to talk to my local mayors and uh, MPPs and MPs, and uh, we, we try to um, pass on the advocacy message that we, we, we do. And we, we do get support. Um, our petition to the federal government will require a sp an MP sponsor. Uh, we, we have MPP sponsoring and helping us to move these forward, although in Ontario, I don't think we're getting any, anywhere here with Doug Ford's government. But you have a, a member of provincial parliament who's at the near level of leadership within the, uh, the party. Yes. And you haven't got to him? We, we do. We have gotten to several of them. And we're waiting for one of them to come through to sponsor our petition to present to the federal government. And basically saying to it, follow Australia's lead. We need universal design in Canada. So and then all the other pieces will fall into place. Have you provided them with the Australian version? Absolutely. And if you go to um, Accessible Housing Network, you will find links there to the petitions, and you will find information on universal design, the, the reports that were put out in Australia, virtually all the states in Australia have adopted the principle. It's like Canada. Every province and territory would need to jump on the bandwagon. Uh, and they're well on their way to having universal acceptance of the universal standard in Australia. And we can do the same. What about the United States? Where do they stand? The United States is ahead of us in so many ways. They have, uh, they're the ones who originally developed the accessible standards for, that we followed suit with in Canada. Uh, and they're trying to create... <laughs> A care, a caring society uh, in New York and, and the United States at large to better support caregivers who make it possible for seniors and people with disabilities to live at home in the community and not to be forced to go into institutions. So there's wonderful examples all over the world. In fact, there's lots of wonderful examples in Canada that we could emulate. And again, if you go to Accessible Housing Network, you will see references to these exper experiments. Also, Seniors for Social Action Ontario is another site to visit because there's all kinds of studies that have been, has, have been done to support the work that we do. <coughs> Excuse me and to uh, show the kinds of creative solutions that have been developed throughout Canada in communities, in co-op housing, in new forms of uh, shared accommodation so that people don't have to go to institutions. So in the United States, have they adopted universal design as a tool? No, they have not done it. Uh, the only country that I know of that has done it 
is um, Australia. However, there are other countries which have adopted very similar approaches. Um, there are countries who have much better care for seniors at home than Canada, um, the Netherlands. Uh, you, you can look these up again if you go to Seniors for Social Housing. There are examples there that you can look up. Okay. Sal, you're passionate about what you do. You, uh, you really enjoy what you're doing. You have the ac academic background to support what you're doing. And you know people who need this kind of help. So thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you. I just remind you that I'm running out of runway. Like most of us, the, the, the past is far bigger than the future. And uh, we need new blood. We need young people who just retired, still in their 60s, who have lots of vim and vigor and can adopt a cause. You know, one of my heroes, Charles Pascal, a leader in education, once said that if you don't have a cause, you will certainly have no effect. It would be wonderful if more people retired with lots of energy still and took the baton from us and carried it forward so that we can look to the future where everyone has a home. Thank you for your time, Sal. My pleasure. Thank you, Peter.